Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Walbo's most reflective work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And before we start today, let's just do a little quick special announcement, um, which is that the the regular Doof uh, fan art contest, which is usually reserved for uh, Parahumans exclusive fan art. Oh. Uh, I know, cool. who cares about that? <laughs> no, it's always pretty good. Um, but this time the yeah. theme that they've gone with is uh, Reflections, isn't it? Reflection? Yes, uh, it's Reflections. And uh, so obviously uh, Pact is included in it this time. So we talked about this at the end of last episode, but uh, we know some of you are very rude and don't listen to our outros. Shame on uh, you. <laughs> so uh well yeah we're just putting it at the front here so uh you know uh if if you have that packed itch and you want to draw something out and it has something to do with reflections uh you know please enter the fan art contest yes uh how do they do that elliot uh you've got to email your submissions to uh i believe it's doofmedia at gmail.com um correct there'll be a link in the show notes uh to like the page that's all about the competition <laughs> and all the details will be there as well in case i've missed anything <laughs> saying there's a link in the show notes is the equivalent of i can't quite remember it right now but i'll i'll definitely remember it later absolutely that's exactly um, what i'm going for yes i would love to see some parahumans fan art uh try and keep it you wait know, you mean packed Sorry, yes. Or have you, or, or, or have you I've, I've been already? a traitor this whole time. <laughs> I'm the rose of this uh, fan art contest. No, yeah, I'd love to see some packed fan art. I'll try and keep it, like, relatively spoiler-free of all the stuff that happens you know, from yes. 11 onwards, but um, that's fine. I mean, yeah, I'd prefer it if it was something that I can appreciate too, but I'll get there eventually either way, I guess. Yeah. All right, should we dive into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so Malfeasance 11.1 starts with Blake trapped in the mirror with nothing to do but scream. <sighs> I, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't scream for that long, though, because even screaming damages his vocal cords. Yep. And, uh, you know, I mean, we all know what damage of any kind does to him these days. Uh, and, like, I mean, this whole opening bit is exactly sort of what you'd expect from Blake being trapped, which is... Yep. He he hates it, and all of his, all of his <laughs> like all of his internal narration and his struggle is about the fact that he can't do anything. Like I really like how on, oh how in character that is for him. That it's not just like he's not just bemoaning the fact that he's trapped, but like Walbo specifically points that anger and that frustration and the fact that there's nothing he can do about there's it. There's no release. It, yeah, yeah, it's very Blake. Yeah, um, and this is an interesting chapter, right? Because at least in the first yeah. half, not that much happens, but Blake does a, f a few really interesting things. And I, I quite like this chapter for that reason. Um, one of the things he does is he starts examining his tattoo birds a bit more. Um, <laughs> and at the first thing we notice of them, or he notices of them, is that they're also screaming along with him, which is so <laughs> weird. And it's such a perfect way to set up the thing of like, the birds are going to be doing some weird shit this chapter, get, get on board. Um, yeah, I mean, and... and because, you know, we've obviously become very familiar with the fact that he has spirits in him over yeah. the last arc and a half. And I feel like now we're starting to explore what that means for them as much as what it means for Blake. Like, you know, what? why are they screaming? Is this yeah. an empathetic thing? Or, or like, you know, are they just as upset? It would make sense if they're the sorts of spirits that were attracted to Blake and are feeding Blake's energy, that they would be the sorts of spirits who would be upset at being trapped. But yeah. Um, you know, like, I, I don't know, I think I forget how much intelligence and agency some spirits seem to have. Like, it's a bit of a spectrum from the seams of it. Yeah, and that's something we really explore this chapter, right, is... Yeah. 
how how um how alive these things actually are i guess um yeah because we've been told i think very early on that they sort of have the intelligence of animals and i think i would sort of started to forget that they were anything more than simple patterns but you know yeah. now we're starting to explore a bit more that there's some depth to them yeah um here's an interesting line Blake is dwelling on all the shitty stuff that's happening to right now, and he thinks it gnawed at me. Where it gnawed at me, I changed. The branches finding just a little bit more ground, and it's so weird. This is such a weird bit because it kind of like things gnaw at him emotionally, but that <laughs> also has a physical effect and a physical location and physical damage onto him, which is bonkers. Yeah, I mean, we saw last arc that. There were some emotional things that caused yeah. him physical changes, uh, but I, like this is fantastic prose that really makes that stand out. Like th- this is a very clever line um, to turn like gnawing emotion, which is a common phrase, into like literal gnawing. It's so packed. It's it's brilliant. Like I I loved this line. <laughs> it is very packed, isn't it? Uh, and another line that I want to pull out that I really liked is when Blake is looking at his bird tattoos, he notices that some of them. Some looked more like sketches than real birds. Their eyes just circles with shaky lines circling them a few times. Which means some of these spirits are like badly drawn tattoos. Which, who knows what that means, but it can't be good, right? It's so weird. Yeah, I feel like it'll be significant, but I have no idea what to do with it right now. Like, are they fake mirror world spirits? Is that why they're bad drawings? Or are Mm. they... Uh, is it representative of something to do with them? Or his relationship with them? Yeah, it's it's such a cool little... mm, you know, seed of a mystery uh, that's just been planted at the start of this arc. Yeah. Um, so, as you mentioned, Blake has to give up on screaming because he's going to hurt his throat and he doesn't <laughs> want his throat to be taken over. Uh, but he he's not able to sit still. So, to kind of keep himself from going insane, he starts talking to his bird tattoos and, like, interact with, interacting with them and, and testing how they work. Yeah, and he names one Lefty, and I'm all about Lefty right now. Uh, yeah, Lefty's like, the left- new Evan, huh? Yeah, yeah, move over, Evan. Uh, no, actually, I want them both. I want Lefty and Evan interaction scenes. Um, it, yeah, I, I mean, I this this whole thing is great because it's, it's kind of like talking to himself, but of course right now himself isn't just himself. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a great sort of way to have him, uh, you know, talk, talk things over and, and do a bit of self-reflection. Yeah, um, it's weird, isn't it? Like... It kind of feels like Blake's losing the plot a bit while he's... I mean, because he is... It is the pa- uh, the the packed equivalent of talking to yourself, right? That's... I love the way you phrase that because that's kind of what we're seeing here. And that obviously isn't a great sign outside of packed. And I feel like it's also not a great sign inside of packed. It still feels like off. Y- yeah, well... And, and and so I don't know if it's just something I've taken away from this and I'm focusing on it or if it's something the, the arc might explore, but... um. Like for me, the way Blake starts interacting with with these spirits sort of got something that's in the back of my mind, sort of ramping up, which is like wondering how exactly what spirits are possessing people for. Like, like you know, why are they in there? Because you know, I was just sort of talking about how some of them are actually fairly intelligent, you, you know, and and like we've seen that seemingly the term spirit applies to like you know a, a wide like gamut of things not like kind of like goblin yeah like you know we get spirits like this frog one from from the previous interlude that yeah. was uh like manifesting uh as a puddle or whatever like that's 
that seems to be like an individual powerful thing as opposed to, you know, the spirits that are apparently just sort of in the background of stuff that practitioners manipulate with runes. So there's like this whole spectrum of spirits and, and different ones seem to be attracted to different people. And I wonder if we're sort of maybe going to explore a bit of that and what that means. Like why why have these ones been attracted to Blake? What does that mean for him? What does it mean for them? Yeah, I, I definitely kind of have been of the opinion that uh, the spirits that are inside Blake are more on the weak kind of background radiation side, right? But we don't mm. really know that. Like, especially in these interactions with a lefty, it, it feels like this this particular spirit, lefty, or, you know, all of the spirits in Blake really could be way more powerful than we actually realize. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or at least, like, thought about. And it comes back to that thing, why why do they do this? Like, do they just, is it just an instinct thing? Like, are they just sort of filling a void or, uh, you know, like, I guess, I guess I, I'm just interested to see if maybe there's more to it. Um, I, I mean, we talked last chapter, like, uh, as, as Andy was theorizing, like, what practitioners might be doing to the universe that attracts others. And yeah. Maybe it's something to do with spirits. Like maybe humans and particularly practitioners have some sort of unique interaction. Like they empower spirits, or or you know they attract spirits. And if they attract the spirits, then the others probably follow, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know, I I don't know. It just seems like this is sort of something that the sto- the story is starting to talk about, and I'm super interested to see where it might go. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it does feel like we're starting to actually explore what do spirits tangibly mean for blake and for this universe which is fun yeah yeah and of course i love that those two things are coming together at the same time you know like it doesn't have to feel like a shoehorned in the explanation of spirits because in story it's been worked into blake's journey so it's it's a very relevant like that's that's you know good plotting yeah yeah so another line I want to pull out is Blake thinking to himself, I haven't changed quite enough to see if my emotions or mindset change, which <laughs> is just wrong. Yeah, good work, Blake. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I guess I guess he hasn't changed enough to see if he's changing, but we definitely have noticed him changing. Yeah, that's a, you're right. That's an interpretation that I guess the spirits took because he isn't forsworn right now. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, if Lefty had called him straight out on this, I would have been like, yeah, fair call. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Come on, Blake. Are you serious? <laughs> uh, so one line I wanted to pull out from this section while we're just sort of taking turns pulling out lines yep. is um, Blake sort of thinks, or well, I think he says this to Lefty. Uh, he says, if Rose is telling the truth and she doesn't have conquest as an excuse to do what she's doing, then that makes me 10 times as pissed off. And it also means that doing anything to her is off the table. And I thought this mm. is interesting because given where Arc 10 started off and everything, I if Blake was feeling murderous tendencies towards Rose, I wouldn't have been shocked, right? Like, yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm very interested by this fact that he is very clearly still drawing this line and saying that he's not going to do anything too serious to her. Um, which I mean, like, good on him. Like, I'm, I'm you know, like, <laughs> pro- props to him. I think I think that's a very noble thing to do. But uh. I mean, I'm, I'm part of me. The tinfoil part of me can't help but wonder if there's like a self-preservation thing in there. If I'm right about them being cut in half, or, or you know, still being connected and still being two halves of the same whole, or, or two parts of a whole, or something. Um, maybe there's something that stops them from actively working against each other. Um, it would explain some things. Yeah, and, and the other thing I like about that is it's highly possible that that you know whatever is keeping them from not 
acting against each other was dampened by him being in the abyss and his what we interpreted as his him kind of coming back around to Rose is actually him just existing more in the real world over the course of Arc Ten and therefore kind of having to not act against her as much. Yeah, I didn't trace it close enough, but I'd be interested to try and see if there was a bit of a turning point when Faisal gave Blake the uh you know, the self boost. Uh interesting self affirmation yeah. as it were. Um but yeah, I agree. There was a definite tendency towards Oh, sorry, there was a definite trend as Blake became more his old self and started falling into his old patterns. He also became less anti-Rose. And uh, like maybe there's something else to that. Maybe there's not. I mean, he's just a good person who doesn't like killing people. So, um, you know, I, I guess I guess we'll see. But it's interesting mm. either way. Mm. Yeah. Um, here's a fun little thing to pick out. When Blake is looking at Lefty, he kind of thinks... Man, I'm glad I picked birds for my tattoos because uh, it kind of suits what I'm doing now, and the fact that they've come to life is is kind of cool. Um, and he he's kind of reflecting on what the worst thing he could have picked for this is. He actually calls out specifically a pastel coloured bug with a symbol on its back, which I don't know if that's a reference or not, but it it reminded me <laughs> of that like Love Bug TV show that was mentioned in in Worm. Um, yeah, I, I had the same thought. Um, I, I don't know if that's an intentional reference or or something. Uh, but I- I'm kind of curious what you think the we- the worst thing he could have picked for a tattoo would have been. <laughs> I would have loved the idea of, like, Blake getting a bunch of Marvel superheroes tattooed on himself as, like, chibi Marvel <laughs> superheroes, and now the spirits are, like, Superman and Iron Man just running around on his body. That would be fun. I mean, like, lots of people in real life have little, like, uh, you know, devil or demon tattoos. That that's, that probably wouldn't have been ideal. Yeah, it could have um, been, like, a one of those, um, <laughs> like, thorn uh, wraps around your uh, around your upper oh, arm. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, that wouldn't have been good at yeah. all. Um, I, I mean, it's interesting that he's a little bit worried about what he picked as tattoos, considering uh, what he knows about himself now. But Yeah, true. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, I've just I've just realised. <laughs> sorry, I I was about to read out my the next bit of my notes, but I've realised I've completely botched this reference. So, never mind. I I was talking about <laughs> I, something that isn't even from Worm. It's from the Expanse. So never mind. Okay, I don't I don't know what you're talking about here. <laughs> um. So the next thing that happens in this chapter is Evan and Ty come in to to talk to Blake to keep him company. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I love I love this whole scene. It's fantastic. Um. But, like, it, I wanted to talk about why we think it's Ty, because, I mean, obviously Evan had to be one of the two. Like, if two people had to come and visit Blake, Evan had to be one yeah. of them, because they're BFFs for life. Um, you know, it, Like, they both swore an oath uh, saying that. But, like, I, I like Ty as the choice for this, because, like, Alexis is too much, and I think comes with... Like, this is a relatively sort of relaxed chapter um, from yeah. this point on, and I think Alexis comes with too much emotional weight, uh, and, and so does Tiffany in a way, but she's obviously, she also didn't really have that much with Blake, whereas like Ty and him are just sort of friends and, and yeah. it's it's good to sort of use that as just a, a level field to kind of approach this more relaxed character driven scene. They have a simpler kind of uncomplicated friendship, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love Evan so much. He's so great in this chapter. It's so good to have him back. Um, <laughs> when they come in, uh, uh, Blake points out that Tyler kind of looks like a pirate, and Evan's response is something like, I'd say Evan want a cracker, but I don't, so I won't, which is just great. <laughs> He's just awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I, I'm just going to say it now so I don't 
have to pull out every other line in the rest of this chapter, but there's so much good stuff, particularly from Evan. Um, also, I was very proud of Evan. That's actually a very clever and practitionary way around saying the joke that you want to say. Like, good <laughs> on him for being a seven-year-old and being smart enough to think of that. Because, like, you know, I, I'm pretty convinced if I was suddenly bound to speak the truth, I'd, I'd fuck it up within ten minutes. Oh, yeah, totally. I definitely would fuck it up all the time. Yeah, so like, like I'm, I'm very impressed by Evan. Like, I think something that we probably don't talk about enough while Evan's being adorable is like he's, he's pretty fucking smart. He's well adjusted uh, to this as well, isn't he? Like he's kind of taken it all in stride pretty well. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, I guess he and Blake relate on, on that front. But mm. um, like I'm very impressed. Like I'm constantly impressed by how smart. Like he's a very quick uh, and observant person for a seven year old, yeah. Um, yeah. even a dead one. Yeah. Especially, especially a especially dead one. Dead I mean, one. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now here's an interesting beat. Um, up until Tyler walks in and says that it's four thirty in the morning, this chapter feels like it's continued maybe half an hour after the last chapter. I mean, we've just had Blake have to stop screaming, which seems like the first thing that he did because he was going to hurt his throat, and, and presumably that wouldn't take that long for him to realise. But suddenly it's it's 4.30 in the morning. Like, it feels like, I mean, I don't know what time the last chapter happened, but it kind of feels like there's some weird time shenanigans going on. And it's, I don't know what to make of it. Well, I mean, Blake mentions a couple of times that if he stops thinking to have his heartbeat and to breathe, he can just not, and then he loses huge tracks of time. Like, he mentions mm. it towards the end of the chapter as well. So I think this is just um, him and us getting to realize that that is actually something he's been doing and it's a bit of a problem um and i think it really interestingly recontextualizes how things like barbatorum can be happy to just sit in a circle for 50 years Mm. because it's not just that like you know with immortality you know time means less to them it's that sort of apparently as an other some types of others at least have this ability to just sort of tune out uh time like if you if you're not beholden by things like well, by mortal concerns, basically. Yeah. Uh, you can just chill there for hours and hours and not even notice that it was hours. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. I, I think that makes sense. I don't know what I don't know what we're meant to take from that, though. I mean, are we meant to take from that that Blake is... I don't know. It, it feels like beats like that have to be setting up Blake's transition into deeper into otherness, which I don't... I don't know. Yeah. I don't, don't want to <laughs> embrace... <laughs> No, I, I do think so. Although it's interesting that he, he is constantly fighting it. Like, I think given the situation he's in and how awful it is, like, my strategy probably would have been to be like, okay, cool, I'm going to check out until I notice something. Mm. Um, which, like, I think he maybe mostly did accidentally. Mm. But, uh, like, it'd be very easy to succumb to it. But he is kind of fighting it when he notices that he's doing it. Yeah. Um, also, of course, metaphorically, he's conquered time. So he's going to conquer the Bahames, you know. Yeah. I'm not reading too much into this. You're not reading enough into it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, buddy. Uh, so uh, they, they're, they're kind of having this a bit awkward conversation, and so Ty pulls out a deck of cards, and they kind of start playing poker as a way to pass time and hang out without having to navigate some pretty awkward conversation traps. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean, there's so much here that i would again i'm just gonna have to not pull anything out because otherwise i'll pull the whole thing out uh like ty and blake are having this sort of adult conversation where ty's filling him in on the big things that he's missed and evan's chiming in with like funny little comments that help it help stop it feeling serious as it's going yeah 
Um, and then I love Evan's little conversation about the condescending looks that adults will sometimes do that they think kids don't notice, but at least <laughs> Evan does. Um, yeah. I just love this whole sort of segment of the chapter and how relaxed it is as our introduction to the arc. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And it's it's a nice way, it's a kind of nice relaxed way of us taking a bit of a breather after what happened, but also kind of giving us info on what actually Blake's situation is here. Because we really don't know where everyone sits in relation to him, right? I mean, we kind yeah. of know where what Rose thinks about him, but... <laughs> I mean, maybe um, not even. I mean, you know, and it's nice yeah. to it's nice to get a bit of that perspective through Ty here. I think what's also interesting is there's a lot of talk here about the fact that Blake is struggling. Like while he is trapped here, it it's really not good for him a- at all. Yeah. Um. Like he's slowly wearing, he's slowly being worn down. He's like, oh, I need something to keep myself sustained. And uh, since the drain still has a hold on him, part of that is going to be he needs to be a spooky monster. But um, we've seen so many times in this story that just being with his friends and being himself recharges him a bit. And I can't help but feel that that's what this scene does. And Blake doesn't seem to notice it, but um, mm. I-, I definitely feel that it would have. Or it doesn't. And the absence of that is an important point for us to take that's going true. forward. Um, that's true, actually. Um, I guess I guess we'll see. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, yeah. I've been working off the assumption it did, but you're right. The other way is just as significant. Yeah. Um, so Blake thinks uh, he, he wins a hand with a three of a kind. And immediately I thought that this is hinting he needs to recruit the three triplets from the mirror dimension to help him beat Rose. But apparently <laughs> that's not what I was meant to take from it. Apparently we're meant to take from it that he wins with three of a kind and that reminds him of the rule of threes and he might be able to use that for some benefit, which is a cool little way of working that into the story. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I I like how smooth that transition is. I also like that Wildbo did feel the need to explain it because I did not make that connection myself <laughs> until it was explicitly made clear. So, um, it, like, I, I think that that shows, like, an, uh, a good understanding of what we are and aren't going to get. Like, once the connection was made, I was like, oh, yes, I see the logical steps Blake took, but I'm glad that I wasn't expected to take them because I don't think I would have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a cool little train of thought, isn't it? Um, mm. So this becomes Blake's plan now. He kind of recruits Evan to help to help him. Uh, Evan throws a few games so that Blake can potentially beat Ty three times. And then once he's done that, he might be able to kind of ask a favor of him without him being able to refuse um, it to, to gain some power over him. But this it's a plan, very good idea. It's a great plan, but it doesn't work because Blake is so terrible at card <laughs> games. It's hilarious because Ty doesn't know about this plan. He doesn't know that he's up to something, but Blake is just getting thwarted by himself being terrible at card games. It's great. <laughs> um, yeah, I, and I mean, it's interesting because presumably, uh, maybe this is an overly optimistic take, but uh, he's he's still human enough that he has tells, unlike Evan. Yeah. Uh and and so maybe that was a factor. Like, yeah. I, interesting. I, I might I might just be like grasping at straws it's here. It's an but... optimistic read. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, Blake's plan really doesn't work. <laughs> uh Evan loses enough that he's out of money. Uh, Evan has to fold so many times that he's out of money, which means Ty kind of realizes that something's up. Um and before it can all kind of come out, Rose enters and from that point on it's obvious that no plots are going to go ahead here. Yeah. And and so at this point, I want to quickly jump in with, with something that I was sort of thinking about, because um, Blake talks a lot about, in this chapter, like, one of the things he ruminates on with Lefty and, and some other times is how easily 
memories from before his creation slips in. And his current working theory that he talks about with Ty here is that, like, he, somebody else was dragged into it. Like, like so, um, a real person was converted into him and sort of merged with Rose. Yep. Um, which is, like, you know, similar to, to the idea I've, I've sort of been talking about, really. It's just, um, you know, has an extra victim, which means it's probably likely because that's more suffering. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they tie it into the whole thing. Like, demons and, and sort of diabolists by proxy don't create. So it would make sense that, that this whole structure is about changing. Um, or I think even changing to me doesn't make sense. Like diabolists and demons, they're about taking and destroying. And so I like this idea of like fracturing something in half. Like if a person was torn in half, I think, I think that's even more on brand than somebody else sort of being sacrificed and merged in. Mm. Uh, so it got me wondering if like the humanity, cause Blake talks a lot about how Rose is the real human now and notices all these things about how she's a real human at the moment. But yeah. He almost seems to have forgotten that while she was in the mirrors, the rules that apply to him now seem seems to apply to her. Yes, although potentially she... I think he kind of thinks that because she didn't talk to him about realising how some of the powers worked, that she didn't have access to them. For example, what Blake does later where he's able to kind of uh, divorce the mirror world version of something from the real world version of it. Because Rose doesn't say anything about that ever while she's in the mirror, Blake assumes that she never really could do it, uh, which I think is not a great assumption to make, but that's kind of where his train of thought is, I think. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and it's so hard to, I mean, the interesting thing about Rose sort of going forward is is that whole thing because she doesn't, her memory has been altered so much of all the time we've known her before Blake uh, fell into the abyss. Uh, it's hard to know what she does and doesn't know. Yeah, um, yeah. Because so, so much has been shifted around. Um, but anyway, where I was sort of where my mind went with this is if 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 it is one person who's sort of been fractured uh, through demon shenanigans, I wonder if the humanity is something that's sort of yo-yoing between them. Because if there's only enough human for one person, basically, I, I'm wondering if that's something that kind of it would make sense that that's why Rose is worried about. Mm. Uh, Blake and wants to keep him trapped uh, because maybe he can theoretically try to tip the scales back towards himself. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting theory. Um, yeah. Um, it's a weird situation, right? Because they're talking <laughs> like this is the first time Blake is talking to Rose since he's been banished to the mirror dimension. Um, and it's, it's, it's so, it's so awkward. Like, Blake kind of has to sit there and pretend to be friendly, um, because he doesn't want to kind of piss off Rose and, I don't know, get put in the extra bad timeout corner or whatever it would be. <laughs> um, it's, it's got a weird energy. Uh, no, absolutely. There's, there's a very strong sense of, like, fake civility from both ends. Uh, like, I feel like Rose is fighting conquest based impulses slash her own personality apparently uh and (laughs) blake is yeah as as you said trying to act like a good prisoner so he doesn't get into more trouble yeah um i I like the bit where blake compares rose to led and sandra here because like i do i do see that Mm. the way the way she talks to him it feels very uh practitionery Mm. yeah yeah definitely 
Um, so Ty kind of fills Rose in on what they spoke about because Rose demands to know what they were talking about. Um, <laughs> and during this, Blake does something interesting. He he zones out and he kind of, like I said, he kind of divorces the mirror world version of some of the objects, uh, like the deck of cards and a few books that they were using to play poker. He kind of divorces them from their real world versions. So they stay nearby him inside the circle. So I want to make sure I understand this because I'm not I'm not 100 sure that I understood it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, at the very least, I understand that I, I think this is the follow up to what we talked about last arc uh, in that car with the behaves, in the car where, scene exactly, uh, where things in the spirit world or things in the mirror world are affected <laughs> by uh, sort of how much energy Blake puts into thinking about them. Yep. And, and so this is him sort of weaponizing and, and, and using that to a bigger degree by intentionally pulling things in when he wants them to come in. Yes. Um, but there's the whole bit about him sort of pushing his focus and, and pushing against the circle that I don't yeah. quite understand. What the, is that sort of him? Is he struggling more to push past the circle to pull the book and coins in because the circle's like naturally preventing that to some degree? Or yeah. I, that that was my kind of read on it, but it's not super clear. So it could be a few okay. different things, I suppose. Um, oh, as long as it's not just me being dumb, then <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit okay with it being a bit unclear. That's fine. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's it's uh, intentionally a little bit vague. Uh, there's still okay. more for Blake to explore about how his powers work here, I guess. Yeah, but but it's fun. You know, he's been in this uh, mirror world for for an arc, really, yeah. and and now we're getting to see him uh, start to you know use it and it's really cool yeah no it is cool Uh, i don't know what he's planning to do with the stuff that he got but it's kind of (laughs) a cool way to set up like okay i've got some coins i've got a half a pack of cards i've got a book maybe i can (laughs) put this together (laughs) i mean it's something like you know it's going to require like a real macgyver uh situation right now but it's something yeah it's very tricksy i like it um yeah so let's talk about this bit we've kind of touched on this bit about um about Blake thinking that Rose is more real than he is, right? Um, yeah. And he he kind of uses that to take comfort in that to to then kind of weaponize the knowledge that he thinks he has over her. But I, again, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't feel like it's wise to trust her to not have said anything about some of this stuff. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's clever enough not to. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think so. I mean, we'll see. I suppose. Um. So this arc ends with Rose leaving behind a kind of boogeyman bodyguard in the room with the instructions to kind of make sure that Blake doesn't pull any tricks and then leaves him kind of alone again. And Blake starts to plot out his tricks. Um, yeah. And I mean, it, it's, um, I, I can't wait to see what he's planning, what, what he yeah. thinks he's going to do. Yeah. Uh, because I'm assuming he's going to get out of the mirror world soon. I, I can't imagine he spends the rest of the story in here unless something Six whole changes. E- yeah, I mean, you know, I, I also spent most of Worm expecting Brockton Bay to get better. So, like, you know, I've been wrong before about this stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think it's going to be interesting to see exactly where he, where he takes this plan, especially with the Boogeyman. I was really upset when Rose said the... The boogeyman she left in there couldn't talk to him. I was, I was kind of hoping for, uh, you know, <laughs> Blake to spend some time chilling with one of his, uh, uh, 
Brothers? Brother, brother yeah. in arms? I, I don't know. Yeah. I love that we don't see this boogeyman. Like, it's left there <laughs> and it can't talk. And we just, it's like standing so that we can't see it, we can't hear it. We just know it's there. <laughs> it's such a creepy thing. I love it. Also, Rose said don't communicate with him. She didn't say don't speak with him, which even took away like, my yeah. thinking that they could sign at each other or something. Yeah. Because uh, I, I was I was sure it was going to be Corviday. I was like, that'd be I, like, yeah, I thought fucking so luck. <laughs> yeah, that was my thought as well. Like, oh, yeah, of course, it's, she's fucking sick to Corviday on him. We, I mean, she might have. We don't know. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I, I really liked this opener to the arc. Like, it's quite a, it's quite a sort of, not not a slow chapter but just sort of very character driven and and sort of you know just focusing on first blake and then his relationship with ty and evan and um yeah i i just really liked it for a sort of calm introspective chapter uh to open uh what i presume is going to be the arc of shit hitting fans (laughs) yeah i like it too um before we wrap up, I, I, want, I thought we should dive into some comments from when this chapter first came out five years ago and see what people are saying about, about the story. Um, Elliot, yeah. do you want to start us off with your comment? Yeah, sure. Um, I've picked a comment by Grek, who you know uh, took a less charitable read of Lefty uh, than I did and pointed out that since Lefty is from the left or the sinister side, uh, maybe that's not a good sign. Mm. Um, which is just an interesting little connection, I thought. Um, Mon Semmel, uh, another poster, commented right underneath that, though, that since Blake is in the mirror world, maybe Lefty's really on the right side. Uh, so <laughs> yep, it's all okay. Fair. Yeah, it balances out. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like the idea of, um, of the left-hand, right-hand stuff coming back into it, because we obviously got some of that with all the tarot stuff, but it hasn't played into the story that much. Uh, even with the tarot stuff, it didn't feel super relevant. I'm expecting there'll be some other stuff where it comes back more. Um, so I'd love yeah, to see se- that stuff. Seemingly, its main contribution to the story so far uh, is the fact that Blake and Rose seemingly aren't quite mirror versions of each other and, and what exactly that means. Um, like yeah. that, that was sort of something that the witch Which implied is important, when she gave obviously, that speech. But... Yeah, it is. But it'd be interesting to see if it takes a more um, direct uh, sort of approach to being relevant. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so what have you brought? The comment I pulled out was by M. Solomon Two, um, and look. So they, they, the comment they pulled out isn't that important. Uh, they they basically said I I never really liked Rose. I wanted to like Rose, but I never could, and now I hate her more than ever. And that was a really strong theme throughout this chapter. Um, everyone's really on the hating Rose train, which I kind of want to talk about because I know she is kind of being a dick at the moment uh, yes but she's and i don't know like comparatively she's not worse than the other villains she's better than some of the other villains we've got right like she's she's doing better than sandra or duncan i would say she's not as good as johannes <laughs> but nobody's as good as johannes so that's fine okay um yeah uh, no i agree in a world filled with lads and shepherds and you know other people like that uh, it's hard to think too little of Rose. Um, yeah. I, I think, obviously, a lot of it comes down to the fact that she has recently, on a number of occasions, directly betrayed Blake, who yeah. thinks so highly of her, and obviously we're in his head, so it feels a lot more personal to us as well as Blake. Yeah, um, and I guess that's what it is. Like People hate yeah. her because she's moving so actively against Blake, but... I mean, Blake still wants to ally himself with her, right? Because she is, for example, keeping the Cabal relatively safe, as safe as they 
kind of could be in yeah. this situation. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of, I'm kind of distrustful of that instinct that he has. Um, mm. Like, I don't want him to go around and kill her. Uh, like, I don't think that'd be better. But I do think it's worth questioning why he still sort of keeps trusting her so much. Yeah. Because uh, she clearly doesn't deserve it. Um, <laughs> like, like, I mean, you know, I don't hate her as much as, as some of the comments I saw, but uh, I, I think it's fair to say that she doesn't deserve I, to be trusted like, right now. I don't think she is... She's not really doing anything different from how she's saying she's going to treat Blake, though, right? Like, she, it wasn't like she said, oh, yeah, Blake, come on in, I'll help you, and then, like, turned it around and, and backstabbed him. She's kind of consistently being like, no, you can't be here. Like, I can't, you, you're not on our team, I can't deal with that. And yeah. Blake's like, no, 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 I want to be on your team. And then Rose just kind of has to deal with it. Um, I mean, considering how he treated her for the large part and tried to get her involved and stuff i can see yeah. why he would feel somewhat yes, entitled to but she to doesn't remember that um, i mean no yeah, that's true uh no you're right I, I get why people hate her because she is being mean <laughs> <laughs> she is being a, a mean a, a big old meanie uh, but she's, she's definitely an asshole but i don't know if in this world that warrants like top tier level hate um, yes exactly and especially like i think the thing for me that that has made me not hold the actions of the last arc in a bit against her quite as much has been uh, she's always sort of been making a smart play like i think yeah i haven't been able to fully fault all the logic she's made and that means something like you know she's still an asshole but i can definitely see where she's coming from and that that, that allows me to empathize with her on some level yeah she seems to be making relatively smart moves for the situation that yeah, she's in. exactly um Anyway, so that's what people have been talking about five years ago when this chapter first came out. <laughs> uh, and that's the end of our, uh, our episode on Malfeasance 11.1. Um, if you want to leave us your thoughts on how much you hate Rose, or alternatively, whether she's done nothing wrong <laughs> and she's great, the place to do that is in our discussion thread linked in the show notes down below. Uh, yes, and of course, you can hit us up on Twitter and uh, via email. That is mediamdpodcast at gmail.com and at mediamd podcast yes and another reminder if you want to participate in the fan art contest head on over to doofmedia.com you'll see all the info there and and uh you might also want to back us on patreon uh, patreon.com slash doofmedia yeah because as well as getting to vote in said fan art contest mm -hmm. um also uh all patrons in uh will have received by now uh by the time this episode airs yep uh a, a special bonus episode that we're releasing exclusively uh on patreon uh, covering content. the short story Wildbo wrote uh, for Do the Right Thing. Yeah, just a little fun piece of bonus content that we thought would be a fun thing to release. Um, accessible to any patrons from $1 a month all the way up to $100 a month. Um, <laughs> so if you want to get access to that, head on over to patreon.com slash doofmedia. Yeah, and it's it's a fun little episode. And I think it's, you know, if you're willing to try it out, I think you'll see you get a bit of a fun taste of everything great that you get being a, a patron of, of Doof Media because there's a lot of great perks. Yeah, definitely. Um, while you're on Patreon, go and check out Wildbo's Patreon as well, which is wild, but nope, that's not right. www.patreon.com slash wildbo is what it is. Yes. Uh, yeah, obviously he's the one who writes Pact and all the other great stuff that we talk about, so uh, make sure you uh, support him as well. Yep, absolutely. These stories would not exist in the way they do right now without that Patreon. Yeah. Um, and so apart from that, we'll see everyone on Monday, the 9th of September for Malfeasance 11.2. Bye. Bye.